chapter. Daniel chapter 5, we'll begin reading with verse 1. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the cross this morning. Amen? Amen. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Amen? Thanks be to God. Daniel chapter 5, found your place in physically able. Let's stand together, read together God's word. As with last week, this chapter 4 is a narrative of what took place with Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5 is also in that same form. We'll talk through this chapter, but we'll just read a portion to get us started in what's happening after Nebuchadnezzar's reign and during the time of Belshazzar. Notice what the Word of God says, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been at Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. The same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote the opposite, the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you speak to our hearts through your word this morning. God, thank you for what we read. Thank you, Father, for the lessons we'll learn today. And God, may you help us as your children to be more like Jesus. And God, for those in this building today that may not know you, may this be the day they surrender heart and soul to your lordship and be forever changed for your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today I'm speaking on the subject of holy handwriting. Holy handwriting. This story is pretty familiar to you, and sometimes you hear people will use the proverbial phrase of, I see the handwriting on the wall. Many phrases that we hear in our culture today come straight from things that happen in Scripture, and this would be one of those. We know that from our journey thus far, we've been dealing with the life of Nebuchadnezzar for four chapters. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't hear anything about him after the end of chapter 4 when we read about the interpretation of his second dream. You remember how Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity. They were exiled to Babylon from Judah. Nothing that they did to cause it. They were there, but in the midst of all that, they were determined that they were going to maintain their integrity, walk with God, live by godly conviction, regardless of what part of the globe they were on. So they began to do that. They remained faithful. God began to use Daniel to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. We see how those things came to be and how that in that time, 
when Nebuchadnezzar called for all the wise men, if you would, it was Daniel who stepped forward and said, there's no man under heaven who has the answer, but there is a God in heaven who does have the answer, and because he's given me that answer, I'm going to give it to you. He shared with Nebuchadnezzar how his kingdom would end, others would rise and fall, but that ultimately God would establish a kingdom that would be without end. Chapter 3, we read about the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how I believe that they were standing in their own personal convictions, but they also drew strength from the courage of Daniel. We saw how God delivered them. In chapter 4 last week, we saw how Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. Once again, it was Daniel who came, gave him interpretation of that. And we realized how God took Nebuchadnezzar on somewhat of a journey to humble him, to realize that he was nothing in and of himself and how much he needed God's blessing on his life. Well, now we're fast-forwarding several more years down the road. Nebuchadnezzar's not on the scene. He's gone. He's passed away. There are others that a few others have came to the throne, and now his grandson, Belshazzar, is on the throne, and he experiences something that we find here in chapter 5 that gets his attention, but we wonder how much transformation takes place, and we'll read and see just exactly what takes place through the rest of the chapter. But I want you to notice a couple things, if you will, as we talk about this handwriting on the wall that took place in Daniel chapter 5, not just what it said to Belshazzar and his kingdom, but what does that writing say to you and I today, many centuries later? Well, let's notice a couple of things. The first thing I want you to notice is the Feast of the King. As you can tell, there's quite a show going on there, those opening verses. You can tell there's quite a party taking place, and there's a whole lot of stuff going down that's ungodly and unholy, and Belshazzar is uh, leading the charge. So as we look at his feast in these opening verses, there's a few things I'll bring to your attention. First thing I want you to notice about their feast was is that they were practicing ungodly worship, to say the least. He was there. They were drinking wine. They were getting drunk. He brought in a thousand lords, and they were all having a big time together. And as they were doing that, of course, they thought they were having a big time. Well, while they did this, you notice he gave a command. And one of the commands that he gave was is that they would go bring the gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar, in his earlier days, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, and they took those from the house of God, according to chapter 3, and the kings and the lords and his wives and concubines all drank alcohol from those uh, vessels that were taken from the house of God. Now think about this. Those vessels were dedicated to the service and the glory of God, and now they were being used to do anything except give glory to God. They were being used for unholy purposes when they had been set aside for a holy purpose. Well, they had some ungodly worship going on, to say the least. But in verse 5, we notice that there became an unexpected writing. Now, some people will say, well, you know, preacher, it was probably all that liquor that was consuming make them think they saw this on the wall. Well, some would say so, but I have the word of God to prove here that it certainly happened just as he said. There was an unexpected writing. In that same hour, that means while everybody was partying and carrying on, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the opposite of the lampstand, the plaster on the wall, and the king saw this. He not only perceived it, but he saw it with his eyes, and he began to notice the hand as it wrote on the wall. We read about that in verses 5 through 9, and what he said was, is during that time, Daniel records that his countenance changed, his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. I, I told him in the early service this morning, it was kind of the Old Testament version of a whole lot of shaking going on. He, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis would be proud, I guess. But nevertheless, they were having uh, quite an experience taking place here. But the Christian Standard Bible goes so far as to say that he was so troubled that he soiled himself. He was really, really struggling, to say the least. And as he began to do, began to experience this writing on the wall, he was troubled beyond anything he had ever experienced in his life. He cried out, and what did he do? He wanted them to go get the smart guys. He wanted them to go get the wise men. He wanted the astrologers. He wanted the Chaldeans. He wanted the soothsayers. And with that, he promised a reward for them being able to interpret the handwriting on the wall. 
He said, I'm going to put purple on their back. I'm going to put a purple robe, which is a symbolization of royalty. I'm going to put a gold chain about their neck. And he said, and I'll tell you what, I'm even going to promote them to the third ruler in the country. They're going to be very important if they can help with this. Well, as you notice, as the wise men came, once again, they could bring no interpretation just as before. And when this happened, he was even more troubled, countenance changed, and the lords, those thousand important people that were with him, were astonished at the behavior and the countenance and the change of thought in Belshazzar. So there was an unexpected writing. But there was also a very unlikely witness. I, I can imagine what was taking place. Somebody probably went down to his palace there down the hall, said to the queen, said, hey, we need you to come do something with him. He's really, really messed up. So she goes down and she goes in and she uh, acknowledges his presence and acknowledges his authority in verse 10. And she says, do not let your thoughts trouble you nor your countenance change. I love this. There is a man in your kingdom. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Isn't it good to know that she remembered something Belshazzar should have? She remembered that there was a man in the kingdom, and listen what the Bible says about him. And whom is the spirit of the holy God? She said, this guy right here, he's not like the rest of y'all. He's different. There's somebody on him. There's somebody in him. There's somebody guiding his thoughts. And listen. He said, and in the days of your father, he had light, wisdom, and understanding like the gods. He was something else. What was on him could not be found just anywhere. And he said this, because of what he did for your father, and, and it really he's his grandfather, but here's what he's saying. He said, your grandfather saw such wisdom, light, and understanding. God used him in such a way in his life that he made him chief over all these people you just called in to help you. Made him chief over astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Notice verse 12 again. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, and solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in Daniel, they said, now let him be the one that's called on to do the interpretation. Well, wouldn't you think, with well, this gathering of wise men, with this gathering of this thousand lords and the large gathering of people, somebody else would have probably spoke up and said, we might ought to talk to Daniel. But no, the queen came in and said, you're looking in all the wrong places for the right answers. You're looking to these people who have no help, no hope. There is a man in the kingdom who can help you. So there was a feast going on of ungodly worship, an unexpected writing, and a very unlikely witness. But i got to move further because this is where the story really starts to get good. Not just the feast of the king, but notice with me in verse 13, if you would, the faithfulness of a servant. One thing I know about Daniel is he is faithful. One thing I know about Daniel is he refused to compromise his integrity no matter how much pressure was put on him. He was faithful to the finish. Notice with me, if you will, as we talk about the faithfulness of a servant, notice the searching of the king in verse 13. Notice what the Bible says about what took place. It says, Daniel was brought before him, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, I love this, are you that Daniel? That's one of my favorite parts of this whole passage. Are you that Daniel? Not just any Daniel, not just one supposedly guy named Daniel, but are you the real Daniel who is the one of the captives from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? Are you one of those boys that almost 70 years ago came to this place of Babylon as a teenage boy that was exiled from Judah, are you the same one that I heard about from the days of my grandfather? <laughs> Here's what he said in verse 14. He said, I've heard of you. He said, I've heard of you and that the Spirit of God is in you. Well, listen, help me, church. Wouldn't it be something today that if in our community, if in our city, if in our county, if in our country, if it could be so real of the fact that the Spirit of God is on His people in this place, in this church, that when we go forth from this place, we couldn't hide the fact that God was all over us. Wouldn't that be something? I don't know about you, but I don't want to hide the fact that I love Jesus. I don't want anybody to doubt that I love Jesus. 
I don't want anybody to doubt that I want to be directed by the spirit of the living God that indwells my soul. Oh, that's the way Daniel was. He said, are you the one? Because if you're the one, I've done heard about you. I've done heard all the stories. Then he says, he goes on there in about verse 15, a couple of things took place. But let me just share with you this. The searching of the king began with a demand. Uh, here's what he said. He said, I want to know if you're the one, and if you are, here's what I want you to do. Verse 15, he said, Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought before me that they should read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give me the interpretation of this thing. You know what he's saying? I, here's what he said. In the Old Testament Hebrew, he said this, They've done ticked me off. What he said, I am hot at them. They're supposed to be able to do this. They're supposed to be wise, and they're supposed to be smart, and they're supposed to have all the answers, but they couldn't do it. And in verse 16, we read not only about his demand, we read about his desperation. Look here. <laughs> and I've heard of you. Wait a minute. Hadn't he already said that? He began with a question saying, I need to make sure I got the right Daniel. Now, I've got the right Daniel and if you're the right Daniel, I've heard of you. He said that in verse 14. Verse 16, he says it again. And I've heard that you can give interpretations. I've heard that you can explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple. I'm going to make you royal, Daniel. Boy, I tell you, you're, you're up in your age now. You're advanced. You're in your 80s now. And, and I want you to know that I'm going to make you very important, more important than my granddaddy made you. He said, I'm going to have them put a chain around your neck. And you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. See, he went from a demand to desperation. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know as much as Nebuchadnezzar searched, and as hard as he went, and as desperate as he got, now he's come to the point that at least he has gone to the right person for the right answer. But what answer will he get? Well, it's not just the searching of a king. I want you to notice, this is really my favorite part, the sermon of Daniel. Kind of, kind of sermon. I believe this with all my heart. I told him in the early service. Daniel's quite a preacher here, isn't he? You read verses 17 through 23, it's a wonderful, wonderful exposition. And can I tell you this? Can you imagine what it would be like to get to glory? Say, Daniel, tell me what it was like when you gave those words to Belshazzar. Oh, tell me what it was like when you stood before him and he offered you all this stuff. Tell me how it was and why you responded the way you did. Well, the first part of Daniel's sermon begins with some humility. Did you see that in verse 17? Daniel answered and said, Before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. That's humility, ladies and gentlemen. I know most people in America today, if they were promised royalty, if they were promised riches, if they were promised promotions of places of prominence and authority, well, they'd jump on it in a heartbeat. But you know what Daniel said? Daniel said, you can keep your stuff. It ain't good because my father owns the cattle of a thousand hills anyhow. You can keep your stuff. You can give it away to somebody else. You can keep it for yourself. doesn't matter to me. I don't need your stuff. I'm not coming down here because of what you're going to do for me. I'm coming down here because God's got a word for you. Listen, that's a word for the preachers of America today. All of us need to remember we don't do what we do because of what people do for us or the church does for us or what people do to us. We do what we do because we've got a word in our heart. We've got God, a God in heaven that's called us and we've got a message from heaven that simply says you must come by the way of the cross and you must come by way of repentance and you must do these things it doesn't matter about what's for us it's who lives in us God help us Daniel knew that he was a humble servant of God oh he was and he said you can keep all that stuff I don't need that stuff but he said I'm about to tell you something you need to know wasn't just about his humility, but notice how he begins to talk to Belshazzar about his heritage. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Let's just walk through this together, y'all with me? He's saying everything Nebuchadnezzar had was because my God gave it to him. 
Let me bring that down to 2020 in the midst of global pandemic. <laughs> Everything you've got, it's because the good grace of God gave it to you. James said, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, comes down from above, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Some translations say no variation. Nebuchadnezzar, everything he had, all of the military campaigns that he never lost, all of the things, and even in the midst of all of his bumbling and stumbling, even when he set up a 90-foot high, 9-foot wide golden image, everything he had. Do you know God gave him the gold to make the idol out of? You ever thought about that? It didn't stop him from making an idol. He made it anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. He said it is God who blessed you. Look at verse 19. And because of the, ma because of the majesty that he gave him, listen, all nations, all peoples, and languages trembled and feared before him. He's saying all the authority that Nebuchadnezzar had God let him have it. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. That's some pretty strong authority, isn't it? But notice verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Do you remember chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar's rolling along in it. Daniel gives him the interpretation. God's going to put within you the heart of a beast. You're going to walk around on all fours. You're going to have long hair on your back. You're, you're going to... You're gonna, you're fixing to go to the pit, buddy. I'm not really. But because his heart was hard with pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and his glory was stripped from him. Verse 21 says, And he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. Don't know about y'all, that ain't where I want to hang out. Amen. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet from the dew of heaven till he knew the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and he appoints over it whomever he chooses. He's giving him a sermon about his heritage. He's taking him back and he's saying, okay, let's get back where all, all this started. Here's what happened. Your granddaddy was full of pride your granddaddy wouldn't humble himself. Your granddaddy had all this authority. But I want you to know he got so prideful, so full of himself, that finally God had to humble him. Now, let me help you here, okay? I, I want you to never forget this. You're going to forget a lot of things I tell you. And you're going to forget a lot of things you hear from a lot of preachers. You're going to forget a lot of things, but I don't want you to ever forget this. Please don't ever forget that staying humble before God is a personal responsibility. It is a personal spiritual discipline. You want to make sure that you walk humbly before God, that you do not get wise in your own eyes, as the Bible teaches us, that you do not get full of yourself, because if you do, then you, if you are a child of God, according to the Word of God, the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, if you are a child of God and you puff up with pride and will not get humble before God, you will force God to have to do the humbling for you. I know that's not popular. I know that's not what people want to hear. You'll not find that on a lot of airwaves today, but I want to tell you that's the Word of God. And if you wait on him to do it, I promise you, you'll wish you'd done it. You will. 
He said, your granddaddy was so full of pride that God had to humble him. And you know how God humbled him? He took his glory from him. He took his throne away from him. He put him out there in the wild wilderness. He put him out there among the beasts and the donkeys. He ate grass like an oxen. He, his body was wet with the dew of heaven. But wait, wait just a minute. Verse 21's got a real important word. And it's the word till. Do you know what that is in Hebrew? Till, okay. <laughs> till what? Till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men. Wait a minute. He had to come to the realization of something, that he was not the master of his own universe. He was not the king of his own kingdom. He had to come to the realization that there was a God in heaven that ruled over him, and there was a God in heaven that had authority over him. And listen to me. Fast forward to 2020. We need to learn this today. There is a God in heaven who has authority over this world regardless of what it looks like. And any person in this world who has any authority in any capacity whatsoever, it has been given to him or her by God. And what we do with that, very important. He said what? Till he knew the most high God rules in the kingdom. Then wait. And appoints over whomever he chooses. I'm, I'm kind of like David Jeremiah on this. I, I'm not just kind of a whole lot like him. You say, how does a person walk with God in this crazed political climate we're in right now? And what if things don't go the way I think they should when I vote in November? I'm kind of like David Jeremiah. It may not go the way you think it should go. It may not go the way I think it should go. But I'm going to wake up on November 4th knowing that Jesus Christ is still Lord. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to wake up on November 4th, even if the election isn't decided, and even if they fight, and even if they get a bunch of lawyers involved, and even if they go on and on and have hanging chads out in Alaska. I don't know. I mean, you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to wake up and say, Jesus is still Lord. And you know what? He's got a reason for all this. He's got a purpose behind all this. Sometimes we don't get the leaders that God wants for us. He gives us ones we deserve. Riches up on that, Marty. But you can be sure of this that any person that's given authority on this earth is still under the ultimate authority of the God of heaven. I don't care what party you're in, I don't care. None of that matters. None of that matters. All authority comes from Him. To give him a message about his heritage. But listen, in verse 22, he gets personal. He gives him a message about his haughtiness. But you, his son. Oh, wait a minute. He's saying your granddaddy hadn't learned a hard lesson. Your granddaddy got full of himself, and I'm telling you this story in case you forgot, because it seems like you have. But you, son, you've not humbled your heart. Look here. Although you knew this. You know what Daniel seemed to him? I'm not telling you a story you hadn't heard before. I'm not telling you a story that is some mystery that's been hidden from you and kept from you. I'm telling you something you know all too well. You know what happened and the reason that your granddaddy had to be humbled. and You know what it took and you know how he was humbled and you know how God restored to him more than he ever had before. You've not humbled your heart. Satan goes further. And you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Oh, my goodness. You know what? No, all of us would say, I wouldn't do that. I would never lift myself up against God. I'd never put myself on the throne. Oh, my. He said, you know what they did? They did something that you're responsible. This is something about leadership you need to always remember. If you're in any type of leadership, whether it's at work, whether it's in your home, whether it's in the church or wherever it is, you need to remember that you're responsible as a leader. Even though you can't 
fix everything. You can't fall around and make everybody happy and sassy. And if y'all go out here today and choose to live immorally sinful lives, I can't, I'm not responsible for your behavior or nothing like that, but I'm responsible for how it affects the house of God. Here's what he said. You lifted yourself up, and here's what they did. They brought the vessels of the house before you, you and your lords, your wives, your concubines, and have drunk wine from them. They took something holy and used it for an unholy purpose. And listen, what else you did? You praised the gods. He, he said, you've done this. He got personal. Some people say, well, I don't like going to church because sometimes when the preacher's preaching, I feel like I'm the only person he's talking to. They're just picking on me. Now look here. This is a one-on-one -on -one thing right here. Daniel's not talking to a congregation. He's talking straight to Belshazzar. Here's what he says. And you praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, and iron, wood, stone, <laughs> which do not see or hear or know. He said, you praise gods that don't even exist. You praise gods that can't do anything for you. Oh, and this is something you need to take home. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. He said, you spend all your time, all your effort, all your energy praising and calling upon gods that do not even exist. But the God of heaven who holds your heartbeat in his hand, you refuse to glorify him. I told him earlier, and I'll mind y'all too, my, i got a good friend pastor down in Florida. He's a good buddy. Uh, just recovered from the coronavirus. And uh, God bless him. He's hanging tough. But I remember once he preached, and I remember hearing him preaching, we talked about it after service. He talked about a time in Jesus' life. Jesus was there, and people began to shout and praise, and began to glorify God began to worship. And you know what happened? Some sanctified Pharisees showed up. They said, you know what? You need to quiet this crowd down a little bit. They're making too much noise. They're unnerving people, making people upset. You need to quieten them down because uh, this is just too much commotion. Jesus said, oh, I can. But if I do, the rocks will cry. If the people don't praise me, the rocks will. And see, it's not that he's looking or lacking for glory, but here's what he desires. He desires to receive it from those he's redeemed. God, help us today to never be afraid to call on God, never be afraid to worship God, never be afraid to give glory to God. Whether you're a Baptist, an Episcopalian, God help them. If you're a Presbyterian or a Methodist or whatever you are, man, if you've been born again, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, hey, don't let the rocks take your place. Worship God and give Him glory. And don't ever be ashamed for the world to see that He's Lord of your life. God help us. He said, you're haughty. And you didn't learn. And you should have. Well, let's get down to verse 24 as we finish up. You'll get home and say, he didn't even tell us about this writing. Well, I mean, I told us all about it, but he didn't tell us. And I wouldn't want y'all to get home and be all upset about that while you eat your chicken and green beans. Here's what it is. He told him, he said, the fingers were sent from God. You know what he told him? He said, you build those hands on the wall? He said, God sent that. And here's the inscription he gives him. The words, mene, mene, tekel, farsi. This is the interpretation. Mene, he says, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Told him that twice. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. He's saying, even though you think you're a big shot, you're just a little squirt. And you're, you're fixing to find out real quick, real soon. God is done with you. Mikael, he said, you've been weighed in the balances and found them wanting. Oh, you know, I really think, I really think that if we heard a word from heaven today on the, the state of the church in the 21st century in America, I believe, I believe this is what we'd hear. You've been weighed in the balance. You've been found wanting. You know why? Because we're just like Belshazzar. We're looking for everything from everywhere else except from the God who can supply it. Perez is your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He gave him 
an interpretation. But not only did he give him an interpretation, he made a proclamation. Listen, Belshazzar gave a command. Now, I don't know about you, I wouldn't be given commands at this point. But once again, it shows us he's still not humbled himself and he's still full of pride. He's still thinking that if he can just do something good for Daniel, that that'll be good enough. Belshazzar gave the command. They clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain around his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the country, you know. I'm sure by this point, Daniel, once again, he's not compromising integrity. He's not compromising conviction. He's just knowing that's kind of their custom. But let me tell you something. That purple and that chain and that, that promotion means nothing to him. The proclamation from Belshazzar was not a proclamation of humility before God. He was still trying to earn favor by works. You know a lot of people do that in our world today. They don't think if they'll do works that God will be okay with them. But hear me. You can't do enough good works to get to heaven on your own. And you don't do good works to get to heaven. Christian people should do good works because we're headed to heaven. James said you can't be saved by your, by your works, but you will be saved by a faith that will compel you to work. Amen? It's very important we understand that. He made a proclamation, but it ends with devastation. You see it, verse 30, 31. That very night, 539 B.C., that very night, long before any of us were ever around, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Now think, here's what's sad about that. He wasn't slain as a humble, repentant king, was he? We don't read about him what we read about Nebuchadnezzar. He was slain. Darius the Mede received the kingdom at 62 years old. Now let's, let's wrap it up. 62 years old, here comes Darius. Wait a minute. Wasn't one of those king, kingdoms that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar about in chapter 2, wasn't one of them, the Medes and the Persians? Yeah. And what did he say about them? He said they will arise and they will have authority for a period of time, but ultimately their kingdom will also come to an end. That very night, Belshazzar didn't even have time to think any further. That very night he was given his last chance I wonder today if God spoke to each of us individually. Say he lined us up six feet apart <laughs> with our masks and our hand sanitizer ready to go. All of our standard equipment before leaving home now. And he lined us up and he took us in a room one by one and he wrote on the wall a message about us. You, me, individual, me, you. Reckon what he said. Would he say you've been waiting the balance and found and wanting? Would he say you're wasting my blessing? Would he say you're not humble and you're full of pride? What would he say? I don't know. But what would he say about us as a church? He called us all back in here, six feet apart. We put up here on the screen. Here's what the Lord has to say to Heflin Baptist Church. You ever thought about what he'd say? Oh, I'm sure he'd say some things that hurt our feelings. And I'm sure some of the things that I say to you that hurt your feelings would seem very small because the Lord is the righteous judge, right? Reckon, what do you say? Well, here's what I do know. I don't know what all he'd have to say, but I know there'd be words of rebuke. I know there'd be words to draw us to repentance. And I know there would be words filled with love because he cares for us. You see, Belshazzar's chances were up. But here's the good thing about you being here today. They're still great. James chapter 4, verse 6, James says this. He said, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Now, I know we're still in time we going to do come forward invitation all that right now but I'll tell you what you don't have to come forward to get right with God you can get right with God right where you are you can get right with God sitting by yourself or sitting by a family member whatever it is you can get right with God let me ask you this are you full of pride when people see you would they say that person is a proud person or that person's a humble person and I know everybody's opinion don't matter and I know all that I understand that 
There's people that say things about you that's not true. They say things about me that's not true. That's okay. I've learned how to live with it and get on with it because God knows truth. But would God say, you fool yourself. You got too much pride and you refuse to humble yourself and you're going to force me to have to do it for you. If that's true, I want you to know once again, this preacher's not throwing a rock, throwing a rope, a lifeline. And I'm saying to you, if that's you, the word of God and the man of God have stood in your path today to give you one more chance to get humble. Whether you accept that opportunity or reject it, completely up to you. I pray you accept the opportunity and realize that he will give grace not only to the humble but those who seek and will to live Father in Jesus name Lord I'm so thankful for all you've done and I'm so thankful for your good grace and I'm thankful, Father, that I can read in your word a story of many years gone by that rings truth in my heart today to remind me of how desperately I need you. Father, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to do anything apart from you, Father. I, I'm totally, completely dependent upon you for everything. God, today I pray for my brothers and sisters in this house. God, that if pride ever works its way toward their heart, they will quickly and swiftly deal with it. They'll seek you in humility and call on you to rescue them from the path they're on. I pray, Father, for those in this building today that may not know you. God, that you will use them today as an instrument of your righteousness by demonstrating your power to forgive sin and transform lives. Pray God they surrender heart and soul to you today. Never spend a day ever outside of your door. Lord, I love you because you first loved me. I love this church because of what you put in my heart and the burden you gave me years ago. God, I pray that you help me keep that alive always. God, I love this church. I love them so much. I'm so grateful for them. I'm grateful for, God, the way you're using them to be a light to the people around us. And God, may we be the kind of people that when we go forth out of this place, they can say the Spirit of God is in them. The hand of God is upon them. And they're walking with Jesus. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Marty, you got us some in the cross ready? Just hold on to it just a minute there, okay? Stand with me. Um, this is one of my favorites. And I want to say this to, to all our young guys and gals that are with us today. Y'all don't ever let some of this stuff right here die, okay? I like news. I like contemporary music. I, I like uh, Mercy Me and Casting Crowns and Toby Mac, can you get a witness there? Can it's not my, I mean, it's, it's, here's the thing. But this stuff right here, this is bedrock stuff, okay? Don't ever let it go away just because. Don't ever let it. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus is not worried about your style today. He's worried about the message that comes from your style. And whether that's with a guitar, bass guitar, mandolin, banjo, drums, piano, whatever it is. God don't care about those things. What God cares about is the message, and he cares about what we do with it. Amen? Now this song right here, and this, this is just an opportunity for you right where you are. To say, God, help me guard my heart. Help me to remember that it is my responsibility to humble myself, as Peter said, under the mighty